Thank you for the introduction, Pastor Mike. And I do have to make a comment. Pastor Stan seems to have a keen sense of when to go on vacation. Multiple snow days, the text about destruction and calamity, and he just happens to be at the beach. So, Stan, if you're watching the live stream, I see you. I see you. I'm going to start off with a controversial opinion. I may offend some of you. I apologize up front, but uh, this is how I feel. I do not like horses. I don't like horses. And I get it. I get the appeal, right? Horses are beautiful, majestic animals. They've got, you know, long legs and you can sit on them and they'll take you places. There's lots of, you know, good things. But I've had a traumatic experience with a horse in my childhood. And I'm not a fan of horses anymore. You see, I was at a farm in uh, Wisconsin with my brothers, and uh, we were just playing. My grandparents had taken us to this farm. We were playing um, on this farm, and we found these horses, and next to them was an apple tree. And so we thought, hey, let's see what happens if we throw an apple to these horses. I think horses like apples, right? And so we start doing it. And to our surprise, they begin eating these apples from our hands. uh, And we think, this is so cool. However, after a few minutes of this, and you know, the horse is watching us, we decide we are going to do something different. And we turn to go try something else. And that's when these nice, peaceful, kind horses turned into rage monsters. I remember as one, the one that I was throwing the apples to started to charge at me, ready to destroy me. I I turned around and started sprinting away. I believe I, I grabbed another apple from the ground and tossed it as a distraction. And then matrix style hopped over a fence and hid in fear as to not be trampled by this horse. Now, my brothers say I exaggerate the story. They called it a gentle trot. Uh, But I saw that horse's eyes. I barely escaped with my life that day. So I don't know where you stand on uh, horses, Uh, if you are a horse lover, a horse fan, Uh, But what I will tell you is the horses and their riders that we're going to look at today, you will not be a fan of. These are not nice horses. These are horses that are bringing a lot of suffering. Throughout history, they're known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so before we look at these, let's remind ourselves of what's happening in this point of John's letter. We, uh, as a church, are going through the book of Revelation. Revelation means apocalypse. It's a, it's a form of literature. It is written in symbolic visions and images that helps communicate heavenly realities in light of the final outcome of the plan of God. And so we see uh, last week, we, we Stan looked at the, the heavenly throne room where we see God holding a seal, a scroll with seven seals. And we learn that the one who is worthy to open the seals is Christ. 
And what this means is between the period of the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ, these seven seals are then opened. And it's John saying this is the way humankind will play out. This is the plan of God. And these seven seals represent the seven judgments of God, of those of people who've turned from the way of God. And I'll be honest, these seals are not fun to read. There is no sugarcoating it. it. The imagery we see is dire, and things get worse before they get better. So this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at these four horsemen. This is a painting uh, done in the 19th century. And we're going to see that each of these four horses symbolize the four major players of the suffering of humankind. Conquest, violence, famine, oppression, and scarcity, and then death itself. These are, in a sense, the four basic ills that from the beginning of time humans have inflicted on one another, and they are all the result of rejecting the good way of God. So this morning, we're going to look briefly at each of these, see what they symbolize for our world today, and ask the question, what did they mean for the first century readers, the churches who would have been reading John's letter? But also ask the question, what are the warnings they may have for us as modern-day followers of Jesus today. So let us begin with the white horse. I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come, and I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Now, for those of you who've been immersed in, in the Christian story and, and, and see a white horse, your imagination might say, wait a minute, I know that picture. That must be Christ. Because in Revelation 19, we also have a picture of a horse, a white horse that is Christ. We sang about the milk white horse in that spiritual. However, most scholars are in agreement that in this circumstance, this is not depiction of Christ. In fact, this is more of an imitation. This is an anti-Christ. This is evil masquerading as truth. And so the white horse symbolizes evil wrought by conquest. The crown suggests a person of power who is claiming sovereignty over others and conquering their hearts and minds. So John is saying through this vision that as Jesus comes, evil will imitate the light. Evil will imitate Jesus and conquer the hearts and minds of people. We see Jesus say this in Matthew 24 when he says that watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. Evil comes masquerading as the light bent on conquest rather than the way of the Lamb. We see this today. So much in our culture, so much uh, talk about things that can bring satisfaction in life and fullness and salvation. There is only one plan and way of salvation, and that is through Christ. And so I believe this vision for us today does serve as a warning 
that if we expect the kingdom of God to come by conquest, by power, by a charismatic leader, by a political party, then we are mistaken and are not following the way of God. The kingdom only comes in the way of the land. This is the white horse. The red horse, we see that its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. And to him was given a large sword. The red, the fiery red of this horse symbolize, symbolizes bloodshed. And so this horse is a symbol of war and violence and conflict. The sword is given to commit violence. And one thing that would be in the minds of the first century churches as they read this vision would be the, uh, the phrase, the Pax Romana, the, which is Latin for the Roman peace. This uh, was a ideology, a policy of the Roman Empire. And Caesar would brag that the uh, Roman military machine, the government, the empire had created peace in all of the lands. But we know the history of Rome. We know the history of these types of empires. Peace brought about by the sword is no true peace. Peace only comes from God. Today, war, anger, conflict are markers of our society, both on national and an individual level. We are more divided than ever. We are taught to think that those who disagree with us are our enemies. We must destroy them. If you need proof of this, just go read the Facebook comment section of anything as people rip each other apart. But we must not forget that wars and violence between nations and individuals are always deeper. There is a spiritual component. One or both sides have lost sight of the way of the lamb. The way of the lamb that says that, the, that Jesus is the one who died for his enemies. The red horse reminds us, peace will never come by sword. It comes only by a cross. But in this day and age, we will see wars and violence. Move to the black horse. The black horse was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then it says, I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. Kind of an odd thing to call out. What is going on here? The black horse represents famine and scarcity, economic crisis and injustice. And what we find is that these realities tend to come after the first two horses, after war and conquest has ravaged people's lands and civilization. There tends to be famine, economic crisis, injustice, injustice oppression, all of these things. How do we see this? The black horse is holding a pair of scales. And the first claims that two pounds of wheat for, for a day's wages. What we understand here, this is about eight times the average price of these staple food items of the time. And so 
This is describing a food shortage and an inflation of the cost for these basic essentials. Poor are being exploited in this circumstance. But we also see it's worse than that because then you have this little comment about the oil and the wine. You see, the Roman economy had made luxury items, such as oil and wine, accessible. So not only can the poor not afford the basic essentials, but the the rich have all the luxuries of life. One pastor describes this circumstance as not just a physical famine, but a famine of the soul. Because the situation here is there is not enough of what you need and all the luxury you want. And I ask us today, does this not sound a lot like our world? That we have so much to eat, so much to consume, so much to ingest, but we don't choose the food that brings true life. Came across this quote by Elijah Del Medigo. He says this, the brutal, painful fact is this. The average person living in a Western country increasingly has nothing to live for. He has little family, few friends, no neighborhood, no community, and no God. He exists mostly as a ritual of economic activity, a number on a balance sheet. The reasonable thing for him to do would be to simply curl up and die. And as the individual goes, so goes the civilization. Do we know anyone that 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 description fits? I believe the warning of the black horse is to not let the luxuries of prosperity starve your soul of the staples of eternity. Finally, the pale horse. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So the final culmination of all of these uh, calamities and evils is the pale horse, the end of life itself. You've got death and then you have Hades. Hades is the place where the dead go. And you have this picture of death riding out throughout the earth, taking people through illness, and then Hades collecting the corpses. It's... uh, It's not hard to make a connection to this in today's age, as we are on, I don't know how many days into this pandemic. But we also know that the final judgment of those who reject the way of the lamb is not just a physical death, but a spiritual one. Pale horse represents also the separation from God for eternity. Just some light scripture reading on a Sunday morning. Church, I believe that the four horsemen expose so many of the false sources of security that we have today. That we put our faith in government or policy. 
We put our faith into a powerful military or a prosperous economy or good health. But for as much as we may want those things, those will not endure. In the end, the four horsemen tell us what happens if we do not go the way of the lamb, that there will be greater and greater conquest and drive to conquer, that there will be greater and greater violence in our world, that there will be greater and greater injustice, hunger and oppression, and that there will be greater and greater sickness and death. These horses are the worst. These horses are the worst. So you might be wondering, but why? Okay, so why does this have to happen? Why must these evils be brought out? We saw that it was the living creatures who were calling out, come. This is part of the plan of God. Why does this have to happen? One uh, example I heard that, that was helpful is it's, it's like a, a pastor or maybe a, a doctor or counselor. If someone comes with an ill Uh, with with something, they say, I'm having anxious thoughts, or uh, my ankle hurts, or, you know, in my context, a student says, nobody likes me. You know, a wise pastor, wise counselor, doctor doesn't just prescribe them something and say, all right, go on your way, or just say, it's fine, you know, people like you. You know, they they don't just brush it off. They ask deep questions. They try to unearth the real issue that is emerging. And so, unless we lay out the problems to their fullest extent, no real healing can take place. I believe in the plan of God. This is why the horsemen must ride out. N.T. Wright says this, unless the ills of the world are brought out, shown up in their true colors, put on display, and allowed to do their worst, they cannot be overthrown unless the four horsemen ride out and do what they have to do, the scroll cannot be read. The victory of the lion lamb will not be complete. So again, I do not want us to leave us this morning, church, in this place, but remind us of where our true future, our true hope lies. Because... These horses are coming, and who can stand against these horses? What I believe is we can take heart that the same temptations, the same uh, idols at the root of each of these sources of evil were all leveled at Jesus, but he did not succumb to them, but overcame them. And so I'm going to take us just for a minute back to a scene in the Gospels in Luke chapter 4. At this uh, instance, Jesus is brought out into the wilderness, into the desert, and he is fasting for 40 days, fasting and praying. And in this uh, story, we see the devil come out and tempt Jesus three times. What I would suggest is that in each of these three temptations, you see the idol of the root of these sufferings, of these horses. In in, in verse 3, Devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Remember, Jesus was hungry at this point. What is this? This is the temptation of scarcity, of hunger, the idol of the black horse. But Jesus does not fall into this temptation. In verse five, 
devil said the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world he said to them i will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me and i can give it to anyone i want to if you worship me it will all be yours this is the temptation of conquest all these kingdoms you can have the temptation of power the idol of the white horse and finally Uh, Verse nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The temptation of power in war. You say you've got the whole army of angels on your side. Prove it. Do what you want. Your military power will keep you safe. The idol, the red horse. Jesus fully experiences and resists the first three horses. And so you may be wondering, okay, that's three, but what about the fourth? Verse 13 says this, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The next time Satan comes in full force to tempt, it's crucifixion, the pale horse, death itself. But the devil thinks that death will sink Jesus. But church, we know it's the opposite. Death itself will be conquered. You know, in Luke chapter four, the very next next thing that happens is Jesus is teaching and he's handed a scroll. Perhaps a little foreshadowing that there is truly only one who is able to read the scroll. And he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Though the horses may be coming after Jesus, he says, no, there's a better future. It's as if Jesus is saying, the horses are going to come. In fact, they must come if they are to be overthrown, but they are no match for the lamb. They are no match for my kingdom. In my kingdom, People will not live in scarcity anymore. The hungry will be fed. In my kingdom, the prisoners of war will be set free. Those who have been damaged by violence will be healed. Those who've had their, their, their lives upended by evil rulers and empires and evil regimes and powers of this world will be set free. This is the great hope of the gospel of God. Yeah, the horses are going to come. They have to come. But the lamb will be victorious. Friends, I believe the vision of the four horsemen is a sad reality. We, in this world, will face trials. We'll face suffering. We will face evils. And we will also have to contend with the evil that is within each of our own hearts. But I believe in this time, Our posture is not of despair, but of hope. The kingdom of God will stand. The lamb is on its throne. 
And as people who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we are now part of a multi-ethnic army of the lamb where we are now called to conquer, but not by power, not by the sword, but in the way of the lamb by suffering and bearing witness to Jesus. Horses are coming. Many are already here. But let's not turn around and run and hide and jump the fence. Let's stand and look those horses right in their faces and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will triumph by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen.